Let's do this! This is the PowerShell Podcast. So smooth. The podcast for PowerShell and the PowerShell community. The PowerShell Podcast is a PDQ production, making device management simple, secure, and pretty damn quick. And now, here's your host. Andrew Plaw. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the PowerShell Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Plaw, here for another of your favorite episodes of the PowerShell Weekly Podcast. We keep bringing them out. You keep listening. It's a good fit. And this week, we have some fantastic community contributions and some things we'd like to highlight. Uh, Starting off with a blog post by Two Point Software about why ad content is bad in PowerShell 5.1. There is also a new release of the module fast module by Justin Grody. Um, And this is a PowerShell module installer that is optimized for high performance and no external dependencies. So it can be used as a bootstrap to quickly install and update modules in a declarative fashion. Pretty cool module. I'm sure we'll talk about that with Justin next time we speak with him. There's also a blog post from friend of the podcast, Emrys McAnally on lindnerbruni.github.io about converting to semantic version uh, converting conventional version to semantic version with PowerShell, and he goes through his kind of problem and a function that he came up to help him with that. So that's a nice little blog to follow along with and learn some PowerShell things. There's also some other projects that I'd like to highlight today, but to do that, I would like to bring on our guest, which is Jordan Burian. Welcome to the podcast. I've seen you in the community for a long time. Excited to finally have you here. We haven't actually spoken before, um, so welcome. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. I've I've never really done one of these things before, so I'm quite excited. You've talked to user groups, though. Kind of similar. I think the Brisbane PowerShell or infrastructure user group or something like that. Yeah, it used to be like the Brisbane PowerShell group and then turned into the Brisbane infrastructure one. Um, So, yeah, I've done a few things and then like a few years in the past, some other ones and some other talks around the world. So, yeah, but this is a first podcast. it's, It's fun. A little different. Um, yeah, I think that's with Michael Zanata and his group out there, right? Yep, yep. Awesome. Yeah, he's a great guy. Uh, very cool book he wrote. But we're talking about cool projects and community modules and things like that. And you have a few really cool ones that I wanted to highlight. Um, starting with C-types. So what is your PowerShell C-types project? Um, so this one here is somewhat inspired by um, the Python C-types. They, they call them modules over there as well. but it's essentially a way of sort of quickly iterating and working with um, platform invoke code, so p-invoke code. Um, one of the problems with PowerShell and .NET is once you sort of compile and load some C-sharp code as an assembly, you essentially have to restart the process before re-importing any changes that you've done there. So what the C-types module does is it allows you sort of to quickly prototype and sort of just um, try different function signatures and other stuff like that without having to restart the entire process and other things like that. And it, it's sort of just a, a fun way of sort of trying out some of the edge cases that have come across, like dynamic module definitions and other things like that. So it's, yeah, it's sort of inspired by Python 1 and sort of something that I do in my day-to-day job as I'm trying out new things and doing stuff. Awesome. So what is your day-to-day job? I know you mentioned a little bit of Python, but what do you do? Um, so I'm technically a software engineer, and I work for I work for Red Hat on the Ansible project. And my day-to-day job is sort of 
just going through issues that are on there and um, dealing with pull requests, bug fixes, and other things like that. But another part of my job is sort of ma managing and maintaining the Windows components on the Ansible side. And that involves like some sort of easy stuff and like community contributions on the various repos that we have, but also implementing new features and trying out different stuff. And one of the big, not biggest issues, but one of the big things that sort of that involves with is some of the lower level Windows APIs that PowerShell doesn't surface. So this is sort of what that led into where I was sort of prototyping different things and trying out different functions and just sort of grew a bit frustrated with sort of the just compiling C-sharp code. I just wanted something that was a bit easy to do to sort of enable my job in that way. Nice. And you made it as a tool that you can share and reuse and get contributions. That's a good approach for things. I definitely want to hear more about your story and journey to Red Hat and sort of what you've specialized in along the way. But uh, I want to cover a couple more of these cool projects you got, which the next one I see is PSD Tour. Um, so this one is actually my favorite one that I've okay. written. It's, it's currently Windows only. I would love to expand support for um, Linux and Mac OS, but essentially it's a way of creating a hook for a C function. So essentially if you've got code that's running stuff and in the background it's going to call like a, a Windows API or any other sort of external C library, what PSD tours does is it allows you to inject a PowerShell script block that will run instead of that actual code. So you can do that to either just sort of audit the calls that you've got on there. And I've got a repository where it has a whole bunch of examples of like um, authentication calls where it's sort of auditing what it's calling for debugging. Um, but you can also do it to either change arguments that it's actually being called with um, or just replace the entire function entirely with, with something else. So it's quite powerful. It relies on a Microsoft product called Detours, which is why I've called that module that. Um, but I've used it for a whole bunch of different things recently. and. One of the, the biggest things that I've actually wrote it for was to capture TLS um, keys as it's running in the background um, to be able to decrypt in Wireshark. So you'll be able to use that on Windows to be able to see the plain text traffic that's being exchanged without controlling the private key on either side, which is um, quite fun to have when you're reverse engineering a lot of that type of stuff. I can imagine. Wow. So... What would who would this be useful for? I guess anyone who has something in C, or is it only when you're developing something in C, or is it when you already have something that's written in C and you want to do like wrapper stuff around it? Um, it, it could really be for anyone. Like a lot, especially on Windows, a lot of the stuff fundamentally goes down into the Win32 API, which is based on C. So that, that's the original reason that I wrote it is that I wanted to be able to audit and sort of um, play around with a lot of that stuff. So. Like say in PowerShell, you, you're three or four levels higher than that one there, but you can still use this module here to capture all the stuff that it actually does in the background to either debug certain problems that you come across or if you needed to change something um, as you're playing around with it and trying out different things. And um, that's sort of the, the main purpose is sort of just trying out and if you like playing around with different protocols or you wanted to see what it's doing, um, that's definitely a lot easier. The other thing that I used it for was with Flaps pass password encryption, I could see the sort of public API that Microsoft had that you used to actually decrypt it, but I wanted to find out how that actually worked um, from a, an open protocol standard so I could actually re-implement it on Linux. 
I was able to use PSD Tour to sort of audit the various functions that were being called to see what is actually being called with so I can know like the sort of general workflow and sort of reverse engineer it that way. So that's that, that's sort of some of the stuff that I used it for. Wow. That sounds like a very helpful module if someone has to do anything in that space. Um, I definitely want to dive into this one more, but very cool module. Looks like you have some stars on it already, but that is pretty sweet, dude. I'll be honest. That's some fancy stuff there. It's, it's definitely one of my favorites and like one of the ones that I use the, the most. So um, I'd, I'd love to expand it in the future to support more than Windows. Um, but like, yeah, it, it's quite versatile and sort of just being able to easily add your own hooks in PowerShell versus sort of rewriting your own stuff in C and trying to find a way to inject it. This this was pretty fun to use. So when you were doing that Win32 API encryption call, so you were just running like trace PSD tour process and targeting the DLL or how are you going about that? I was targeting LSAS, which is sort of like Windows local security authority um, service. That's where a lot of the sort of authentication and cryptology stuff are running. Um, I was able to sort of figure out what the functions that I needed to actually wrap and sort of I needed to find out, okay, what is this argument here? It's an integer but what is its value um, in terms of like how, how does it actually work type of thing. So there was a lot of auditing stuff and trace piss, trace process, I can't remember what I actually called it, um, um, made that a lot easier um, to sort of get that all up and running and sort of giving me a nice snapshot of it as it actually ran. But you had to write the wrapper that would kind of look at that stuff? Yeah, um, I think on the the repo, there's a, on the readme there's a link to psd tour hooks um which is another repository related to that and there's a whole bunch of powershell files on there for like the various dll's that it wraps and that contains all the hooks that i actually used over time to audit that type of stuff so that's sort of like a companion type of repository that other people can use for pre-existing hooks that i've already written awesome and i've got that in the show notes yeah that's pretty sweet um are there other tools that you've used in the past that are more like not PowerShell to accomplish similar things and this kind of replaces that for you? Yeah, so for, for this one here, it replaces using detours directly, which is sort of a Microsoft protocol. Um, to get that working, you essentially had to write your audit functions in C or like some sort of equivalent low, lower level language, which is okay, but I find the churn of doing all that um, sort of recompiling, figuring out what's wrong, recompiling again, um, as well as sort of just general injecting of that type of stuff in existing processes might be a bit harder compared to what sort of the PSD tour stuff adds on top. So that's sort of what this particular thing replaced for me to have a, a more easier management API on top of what's already there. Wow. Thank you for this module. I mean, this is sick, dude. Uh, very cool stuff here. Um, was it fun to put together? Was it kind of was it out of your challenge? Like, was it challenging for you? Was it in your wheelhouse? How was it for you? Was it like a growth process? This one was actually quite challenging because finding a way to be able to inject this up in other processes requires you to start up a whole new .NET runtime in processes that may not actually have .NET already running. And there were a lot of things in there that um, I had to sort of either go back. Like, there's a few people on the PowerShell Discord um, which are very knowledgeable on the .NET side and sort of some back and forth questions and sort of figuring out how things worked and sort of piecing it all together was really quite fun, but really quite challenging for me. And like 
I'm really glad that I did it because I learned a whole lot of things while doing it. And um, yeah, it, it worked out quite well in the end. I was, I was very happy with the product. And are you accepting PRs? Anything you, you, you communicate contribution guy, you like those? Yeah, yeah. It's an open repo. Like I can't guarantee I'll look at issues and PRs straight away, but I try and do it within at least a week or at least comment on it. Um, I've got no outward plans right now on changes apart from like I do want to expand it for non-Windows going forward, but um, no plans right now. And that, that's a pretty big ask. So I don't know if I'll get to it anytime soon. No, it sounds like it's working, which is a fantastic place to be for a module. Um, and it looks like some of these files are like two years ago. Is that when you sort of created it initially? Did you have like good documentation in the beginning? When did you actually kind of get it to the good state that it's in now? Yeah, um, when, when I write modules, I sort of like to start with a basic framework where like I, I produce sort of a few commandlets and I've got the build process running with CI. Um, but the one thing that I always try and make sure that I have in every module that I publish is documentation for the various commandlets as well as some of the more gnarly bits as well as testing. Um, I find one testing brings out bugs as you're writing it and it really helps with regression testing when you're adding new features. But while I hate writing documentation, it's a really key process in my opinion around validating validating your actual API. So rather than you sort of thinking, okay, this is what sort of works well, you're actually using it as you're documenting things and you're like, okay, no, that's not that great. I need to readjust the sort of interface with that one there for easier use. So um, usually when I write something, it's about four or five different iterations later after I've sort of played around with it that, okay, no, this actually feels better to use as a user and um, it's not completely confusing for people to use. Yeah, and definitely shout out to the uh, accompanying PSD tour hooks to kind of give people some uh, good starting points for it. Yep. But quite the undertaking. Pretty impressive. I kind of want to read through some of the code and see how you accomplish some of these things because um, I feel like you can, I can always learn more about PowerShell and how to do things. Looks like you got a good bit of C-sharp in there as well. Yeah, a, a lot of my stuff these days are now sort of C-sharp and binary modules. I've, like, I still use PowerShell from sort of the end user and using my actual commandlets, but I find actually writing commandlets and modules is, like, I, I think it's a lot easier in C-sharp and it, it gives you a lot more control and things are a bit saner in, in that area, in, in my opinion. Are there any big things that you can point to that are sort of pain points that you don't experience in C-sharp? Um, probably the three biggest things that I find are beneficial with um, C with writing in C Sharp is you get actual static type checking. So when you're compiling the code, it's a lot stricter as to what it will allow. Um, and it sort of makes you think about APIs a bit more and sort of redesigning them in, in a better way rather than sort of the, like PowerShell has types, but it's a bit more dynamic, which is great for when you're writing stuff. But if you're doing libraries or sort of the more fundamental things, it's it's a bit too lenient in my opinion. Um, error handling is also a really troublesome one when you're writing it in PowerShell. C-sharp sort of makes it a bit more saner um, compared to PowerShell itself. Um, and then the third one is that it, it really allows you to integrate um, external .NET assembly. So like if there's any code that's not available as a PowerShell module as a dependency, there's thousands of really great libraries out there written in C-sharp that 
is a lot easier to integrate when you're writing a binary module. So it sort of lets you tap into a more mature ecosystem. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like you, you can sort of do that with PowerShell modules these days, but it's a bit more integrated and built in when you're writing it as a, as a binary module itself. Those are some pretty good reasons. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I know that you've given a talk about developing binary modules and all that. So that's not something I've had a chance to do, but sounds like there's a, a brighter world out there with a little bit of C-sharp mixed in. Yeah, it, it's definitely something I recommend people look into. And I will admit it was definitely very daunting when I first tried it out. You have to sort of not reinvent the wheel, but there's not as many sort of easy build scripts out there for the binary side compared to sort of just script modules. But I highly encourage people try it out and sort of see the benefits there. And like while the PowerShell Discord is PowerShell, there's so many people on there that know about C Sharp and sort of binary modules. And it, it's been invaluable for me to figure all this stuff out, just ask questions. And I think I converted maybe two or three people to binary modules that way, just sort of recommending it there, which is always great. Yeah. And shout out to the PowerShell Discord, aka.ms slash PS Discord. Um, I see you on there a lot. And it, I believe you said in creating PSD Tour, you're getting some feedback from other people who are pretty experienced in .NET. Um, and it's, I've definitely gotten help with some weird networking issues from you before, which I don't think I ended up solving. Um, but it's a really great place to be, a great time to plug it. Definitely get involved there and don't be afraid to ask questions because um, I think we all start somewhere, put in your research um, and then make sure that you're not just suffering in silence and not ever getting an answer to your question and giving up on things. It can be super helpful to just get a couple of suggestions to lay out your problem and to hopefully develop cool things like the PSD tour module. So how can people get PSD tour? Um, install module PSD tour. Um, it is technically a PowerShell seven module. Um, I didn't write it for um, .NET framework compatibility. Um, but essentially, yeah, you install it like any other module. You do need administrator access to be able to trace other processes because like, that's sort of Windows security. Um, but yeah, install the module and start running it, and you're way to go. So do you need detours installed beforehand? Yep. It, it's all compiled inside the, the binaries that are inside the module. So it's all self-contained, no external processor programs are needed. Nice. You have another fantastic troubleshooting module called PSETW, which we have plugged on the podcast last week. But, uh, and I kind of told people what it was, but could you reintroduce us to PSETW and what are ETW files? Sure. Um, so like ETW is, I think it stands for event tracing for Windows, but I could honestly be wrong with that. Um, essentially, it's like a, a logging mechanism inside Windows that a whole bunch of different components in there used to be able to log messages and sort of just various events that happens inside processes. Um, I found that while Windows has like very powerful mechanisms and like tools in there to sort of capture these logs and display them as part of files, piecing it all together and sort of getting it all running requires a lot of clicks, um, steps or sort of inherent knowledge that you may need to know to actually set it up, which I really didn't like. And like I was very at the stage of pulling my hair out, trying to figure things out. Um, so I wrote PSETW to provide sort of a, a way to stream the events as they happen inside PowerShell as objects. So rather than capturing it into a file and then reading it through the event viewer, or I think maybe get WinEvent supports reading from files, 
this one here allows you to subscribe to like a, a, a I think they call it a source um, a with provider. its various keywords on there um, and yeah. sort of emit them as they come in. So I was using this just as a test for like PowerShell itself has a whole bunch of events on there that like script block invocation has started and these are all the arguments that are run with it. So I was sort of using that as a test. But the reason that I started writing this was to be able to trace some WinRM server-side logging that that was happening. And you could do that as part of the performance monitor to capture it. But I wanted an easy way to sort of just one line type of thing, type it into the PowerShell console, press enter and watch it as it sort of streams to the, the actual console itself. Definitely seems like a pretty helpful module for people to be troubleshooting. Um, what are some use cases that you see people using this for? Or who could it be helpful for? Yeah. Um, if you know that an application that you're sort of working on or troubleshooting, or like if you know something has an ETW provider that, that generates logs and you need to sort of poke at, you can use this to be able to sort of trace a specific process, not process, sorry, um, a source. Um, I want these keywords, these levels, and say I want to just output it to a file and sort of a text file. So rather than sort of the binary ones where you need to open it up with another program, you can just sort of output it into a, a file or even just the console and sort of seeing as it goes. I, I found like it's still not that great in terms of using. You still need to know like what providers are out there and sort of identifying that type of stuff isn't easy. So unless you know there's an ETW side to the program you're working on, it probably isn't as useful. Um, but it sort of just adds a few more tools to the ETW side, which I found were a bit lacking in some areas. Now, is that the type of information you could figure out by going through Event Viewer, or would you have to like read more documentation to see if something has an ETW provider? Um, see, this is where ETW gets super confusing because there's about four different types of providers. There's some two legacy ones, which I haven't really touched and I don't particularly want to touch. But then there's one which is where you, they register a manifest. And you can use, there's programs out there, like I think it's ETW Viewer, um, or even just Performance Monitor allows you to list all the various providers that are out there, their keywords, the, the events that they use, and you can sort of quickly enumerate that. And I've integrated that with the tab completion um, options inside that commandlet. So that sort of makes it a bit easier. The last one is sort of something similar to where a lot of .NET applications use ETW to, to send their events, but they don't register it with the system. So you need to sort of know that beforehand. So the name of the actual source, as well as the keywords that you want to use needs to be known by yourself. You can't autocomplete or scan them to see what's already there. Um, that, that's unfortunate, um, but I couldn't figure out any other way. And like the way that it works, I don't think there is any other way to sort of know that already. Very cool. Another pretty awesome module. Uh, I love talking to people that create really cool modules like this that are like above what I can do and just kind of create multiple of them. It's very cool. I love when people can get to the point where they have those skills, but also they have the desire to actually contribute and share things and not just, you know, kind of keep it closed fist. So shout out to open source. Yeah, I, I, I love writing this stuff here because there's always an itch or some sort of thing that I want to learn about. And the way that I learn is that I write something for it. So like I learned a lot more about ETW just by writing this module and figuring out, okay, this is that, 
this is how it sort of all links together and it sort of gets me to use it and sort of play around with it. And the benefit is that I produce something not only for myself, but anybody else who was interested in it, they've got sort of something available for them to use. Yeah. And it can, especially tools like these can be massively helpful to some and really uh, helps them deal with some pretty challenging issues and make their life a little bit easier, their work life a little bit better. Um, so it is pretty cool to see the potential impact of doing something like this and making it open source. So thanks to you for that. Yeah, that's all good. Um, so speaking of open source kind of stuff, you mentioned earlier that you work at Red Hat. So how did that kind of come to be? Because I know working at these big tech companies that people hear about, it kind of can be a pretty foreign concept to them. But how did you end up there? Yeah. Um, so like my, my first job out of university or college, as I think you guys may call it over there, um, <laughs> was a, a graduate position for a, a bank in Australia. And essentially I was working there as a systems administrator, sort of working on various applications. And one of the projects that came up was to be able to start deploying some of our applications to AWS. And that was new for our team at the time. We've never sort of never played around with it, but we really wanted to write it in a way that we could sort of just build that environment dynamically. So a clean slate install with the infrastructure and installing the various applications that we needed and that was sort of documented as a build process and at that time our company was using ansible for a lot of their web applications and we thought boy this sounds like a, a great thing for us to use for our stuff and we wanted to investigate that further we we were primarily a windows team at the time so we essentially had windows servers apart from a few sort of oracle databases and other things like that and when we were sort of investigating Ansible, we found that, yes, it does work with Windows, but there was a, a few key areas that sort of just didn't work too well from an enterprise perspective. So there was things like NTLM authentication was using older versions, which were disabled in our environment. Um, it didn't have Credit SSP authentication support, which um, we needed at the time for some of the stuff that we're actually doing. So in my spare time, um, I was working on that type of stuff and like I want to learn Python Ansible's written in Python so I started writing a few libraries and to bridge some of the gaps that were on there and over time one of the main maintainers of the Windows stuff on the Ansible team saw some of the PRs and the other things that it was contributing back um, and asked me hey we might have a job opening soon are you interested I said yes I went through the interview process which was fun um, and then eventually got the job from there. And it's about seven and a half years later, and I've been doing very similar work and learning different things and still working on Ansible. And it's been sort of a great ride from, from that one there. I've, I've loved every year of it. Wow. So 7.5 years working on Ansible. Yeah. That's exciting. It's crazy to believe. Like, it just feels like maybe three years, but that's what it felt like three years ago. <laughs> so how are you different? now compared to whenever you first started there like as a professional what skills do you have what kind of new perspective have you maybe gained over the years um so i've definitely know a hell of a lot more about python like i sort of knew a bit to be dangerous and sort of write some sort of very basic code but now i definitely have a, a, a greater understanding of the ecosystem and, and how that sort of all works together um i've massively improved like sort of expanded on my skills in PowerShell as well as sort of just Windows tools in general. So like I had a general idea of how things worked, but never to sort of the level that I understand 
did now. And there's always more that you can actually do. But um, seeing sort of that enterprise practice, practice at a, a software engineering company like Red Hat and how things all work together and sort of the open source ethos that it has has been great. And sort of I love the skills and other stuff that it's enabled me to work on and sort of expand my skills on various topics that I would have no idea that I would have worked on before. Like the, the PSD tour stuff and the ETW stuff, I don't think I ever would have considered touching that at my previous workplace. Whereas now I have the ability to try things out and sort of debugging things. And that's sort of what it sort of led into in learning a lot more about that, that stuff. So are you pretty comfortable with sort of getting lost in a technology, really diving deep? You like that process? Definitely. Like it's, I love having a, a problem that I need to solve and either not starting from nowhere, but having sort of somewhere to jump off from, jump off from and sort of just building stuff out and figuring it out. Like the last one that I worked on, which I mentioned before was the lapse decryption stuff. I needed it for one of the Ansible um, plugins that we were writing to be able to sort of support lapse passwords. Um, figuring that out was really great. Like not only do you learn more stuff, you find more people out in the wild that might know more about those areas, connect with them and sort of see the various things that they're working on. So I met maybe two or three different people through that and um, sort of understanding what they're working on today and seeing that type of stuff has always expanded the things that I'm interested in and I'm curious about. One thing that I want to highlight, you mentioned kind of early on that you said played a role in you getting the job was your PRs. Um, I think that's one thing we sort of tell people a little bit is, yeah, by building open source stuff and contributing, it is helpful, but also it can potentially look good. It can potentially be like sort of a working resume. Um, so was that sort of your experience? Like, I mean, it sounds like the PRs sort of got your name out there. You were doing quality work that you could be proud of and that was having some form of impact. Um, yeah. Like it, it definitely helps. And I would highly encourage people to work on it. So like not only do you expand your skills, you also meet new people and try different things. And like, I, I won't lie, I was incredibly lucky to get the current role that I'm in. So like things lined up perfectly for me. It's what I was working on at the time. There was a job opening. Um, I impressed the right people. Um, so sort of getting that sort of lined things up perfectly. But like even without that, I still would have thought it'd be great because I learned new things at the time. And um, it, it's a great way to try out new stuff and also, yeah, get your name out there. So maybe you might not get a good job straight away, but now someone knows you've worked on this and they might consider you in the future type of thing. Yeah. And also once you sort of get in that world and start doing PRs and stuff, you're just more comfortable with the process. It's something you can go back to in the future. You've gained a skill. And one thing we always talk about is like putting yourself out there for opportunities so you can be noticed. So going to user groups doing the blogs, whatever it needs to be. But uh, it sounds like you were doing those things and you were putting yourself out there, learning new skills, and sounds like they found a good person for the position based on it. And I think that people who are interested enough to actually take the steps and create a GitHub account and go through contributing are oftentimes going to be um, fun people to work with. Not always, but <laughs> good sign. So shout out to everybody out there. Keep contributing. Keep doing your thing. Um. Yeah, and like not even only that, you're sort of giving back to the community as well. So it's like if you're not only helping yourself, other people that might have the exact same problem as you, it's that you'll help them. And yeah, you sort of enable yourself in the future. If you come across any new bugs, you have the ability to fix it yourself or like find out what the actual issue is and find workarounds. 
yeah, it's really good any way you slice it. It's beneficial for all involved. I think that a lot of time the biggest sort of crux for people is the pressure or the stress of sort of going through it. But once you can kind of work through that or maybe take the pressure off yourself and realize that no one's going to kind of tear you to shreds if you make a mistake and you can get into the flow of kind of regularly contributing can be a very helpful thing. Like you, you have a problem, you solve the problem, you develop a module, it's out there. It's just sort of your work process. Even like, yes, it, it can also be stressful and maybe sometimes demoralizing. Like I know I've comp- contributed a few things to various repos and either I didn't get a response back or they said, no, thanks. Uh, we're not interested in that con- contribution, which is perfectly fine. Like these are other people that have to maintain the code um, after you've committed it. So like, don't take that as a rejection or anything. Like you've done the hard yards to produce something and You've, you've gained stuff out of it. So you may not get the, the end result that you're looking for, but um, just doing that initial step is just fantastic. And like I would sort of still contribute, continue to encourage people to continue that, even if the first few ones that they've um, tried just didn't work out the way they were hoping. Definitely. I also want to go back to, so you're basically a Python dev technically, right? Yeah. So that, that's my, my bread and butter and what I'm paid to do. Right. But you developed solutions to solve problems in PowerShell. So is there a reason you chose to go the PowerShell route for um, some of your modules rather than using Python? Yeah. Um, so a lot, a lot of the stuff that I sort of do right now is mostly focused around the Windows side. So Windows and PowerShell has sort of a, a great relationship where it's sort of somewhat built in um, and it's sort of quite well integrated inside the OS. And like, I've definitely written a lot of things in Python um, for the the Linux side, but when I'm writing these tools, I find it quite fun to write in C sharp and sort of get a bit of a break from what I do on my day-to-day job and trying out different things. So I I, I do things equally, like I've got a whole bunch of Python tools, um, but a lot of the diagnostic stuff is mostly in PowerShell. And that's sort of like my general hobby and what I try and do for fun type of thing. Cool. So you are into PowerShell through Ansible or were you into PowerShell beforehand or you sort of got exposed through the Windows side of things? Um, I, I tried, well, not tried. I did use PowerShell from time to time at my previous job and we were mostly a Java shop. So there's a lot of Java code and we used like a dialect Groovy at the time. Um, but a lot of my PowerShell interaction has mostly been with my job with Ansible. Like sort of had a baptism of fire where I went from writing very basic scripts into trying to produce a bit more solid code and um, going to the more advanced stuff as part of my job with Ansible. Interesting. And sounds like you've also kind of specialized in a lot of networking stuff along the way, um, kind of all ties together with the whole diving deep into things that you mentioned earlier. Um, When you go to create a project or solve a problem and you're ready to dive deep, do you write anything out? Do you prototype? Do you plan things? Or do you just kind of imagine the whole kind of picture in your head and start solving it one command at a time? Um, I, I definitely have like a general overflow, like overview of what I'm looking to do. There's a few patterns that I try and stick to for a lot of my stuff. Like with the protocol side, I like to write the protocol as sort of like a self-contained wrapper where I could control the in and out just through like maybe bytes, strings. 
And then maybe I like add on the networking, sort of like the TCP socket type stuff as a separate thing. So there's definitely patterns that I try and go for and it definitely evolves as I go along. Like every project that I start with, I might have like an API sort of initially designed out, which I'm using for testing, but I'm definitely going to go through about three or four different prototypes and iterations and trying out different things and as it goes along because you either find okay this api doesn't really suit that um, or it's not that great to use it's a bit confusing so you sort of just go with the punches and, and see what works really interesting so for you what does the powershell world look like like what does your powershell world look like i see you're pretty active in the discord when did you sort of get introduced to the community in a deeper way and i know as a python dev i'm just curious what it looks like for you yeah um so like i, I would have started contributing back to like powershell modules i think my first one was maybe 2017 2018 and that was my first introduction inside um modules themselves so like i was sort of learning things as i go along i could see blog posts um by kevin um online trying to sort of figure out how to build stuff and um yeah, like I, I sort of had that brief introduction there and sort of I was sort of just puttering along. And then I think maybe 2019, 2020, probably 2019 is when I sort of started to get a bit more involved in sort of trying to expand my skills in PowerShell. And that's when I learned about, I think I learned the Slack first and then I was told to go to the Discord side, which is all connected. Um, but that sort of exploded my world that I had on there and like just sort of being in touch with a whole bunch of other people seeing other problems and like you you learn something new every day that you didn't think you'd learn about like there's always going to be a problem that's out there some edge case you didn't think of um or just talking to people and trying to see what they're actually doing has been fantastic in terms of my learning experience with powershell and trying out new things so definitely 2019 would be the turning point where i went from sort of a basic i know how to do stuff in powershell and and write things together to okay, I, I have a fairly solid grasp of the language and how it sort of all works and I can try start doing new and interesting things and um, playing around with it all. Nice. And do you talk a lot of Ansible on there as well? Um, there's a few people that come online with Ansible questions um, that I definitely help with. Um, like there's a few people both on the Discord as well as Ansible's IRC Matrix channels um, that I see common usernames. Um, but a lot of the stuff mostly is sort of just PowerShell in there, aside from the occasional issues that I see. That's kind of a cool story how you ended up being in the PowerShell community. Um, kind of unique, especially as like a Python dev, but I, I see you in there all the time giving great help and stuff. So very interesting. And yeah, so who are some familiar faces for you or maybe some people that you saw early on that you kind of connected with in the Discord? Um, I think so. The person that introduced me was um, uh, Adilio. Um, oh yeah, he, he. I met him at an Ansible Fest in 2019. I think I was talking to him um, through Chocolatey because we've got a partnership with them with Red Hat um, Ansible. So like he sort of introduced me to the Slack and Discord side, and that's sort of where I've sort of moved on a bit more. Um, but he, he's a great guy, and he just talking to him is, is fantastic. And yeah. Um, but like some common names that I've seen on there, like I know Jay Cool was a very looming figure in, in the PowerShell. Like he's been using it probably since the beta and monad times or something like that. Um, so like seeing him, um, 
but then like going forward, some like really great names that are on there, like there's um, Seemingly Science, um, who works on the actual PowerShell team now. Justin is always great. Um, I, I'm not under, I can't remember his first name, but Santi or Santisk um, on Discord, and he's he's sort of fairly new, but he's been helping a lot and sort of seeing how he's sort of grown and learned different things has been great. And like, I'm sorry if I haven't mentioned other people, but there's so many people on there that you interact with day to day and and just just great guys, great people all around. Yeah. Do you spend most of your time in Bridge? That's sort of the channel that bridges them all together. Yeah, Bridge, PowerShell Help. Sometimes I'm in Fringe when I'm working on stuff that I don't want to um, sort of confuse people because... Yeah, sometimes you can get deep into the weeds for different things, but there's a whole bunch of channels. I know DBA tools have got like a, a a bridge channel with their Slack or something on there. So it's interesting to see some of the challenges that some SQL people have and like there's an intersection of the various groups, which is always great to see. Awesome. Well, I think there are some cool PowerShell stuff in Ansible that we wanted to highlight. So could you cover some of those? Yeah. Um, so like we have... The, the main Ansible repository, which is sort of where all the core engine stuff is, but part that's Ansible of, Windows. Ah, uh, no, that that's Ansible Ansible um, in GitHub. Oh, Ansible Ansible. And then we have something which we call collections in the Ansible side, which is sort of a a group of various plugins for things. So a lot of the modules that we live live in three different ones. So we have Ansible.Windows, which is sort of the core supported set of plugins that we have. In Ansible, so that's the stuff that's directly maintained by myself. Um, so another member of my team. Um, then we have community.windows, which is sort of all the things that people can use, and like they sort of they they work, but they don't have that sort of official Red Hat support that paying customers sort of have that expectation of um, in terms of general support there. So a mixture of quality there, but like there's a whole bunch of things that are great to have. And then a newer one that we've added is Microsoft.ad, um, which is a whole bunch of modules for Ansible that deal with managing Active Directory stuff, like creating users, groups, all that type of things. Um, one of the newer things that we've added um, in there is an Active Directory or an LDAP inventory plugin. So you can actually use Active Directory as your sort of inventory source with Ansible. So instead of manually writing out, okay, my web server, this is their IP address, or this is their DNS name, you can use Active Directory as a, a source of truth for building that one there at runtime. So that's sort of like a newer thing that we sort of recently introduced uh, inside that collection. But all, all three of these repositories, they're all um, public out in the open. We accept PRs and issues. We don't accept any new modules or like new plugins right now for any of them because it's a bit hard to maintain all that as well as all the other things that I do in my day-to-day -day job. So um, bug fixes and features for existing stuff, definitely like submit a PR. I'll work through you, work through it with you and um, make, make sure that it actually gets merged. And even if you have general issues, I, I try and look at the issues from time to time, but issues mostly are just for the, the paid Ansible Windows or Microsoft AD side. Awesome. And links to those are in the show notes so people can check those out and star some repositories. Do your thing, people. There's one last project that I want to cover. And I saved, maybe, did I save the best for last? I don't know. People have to decide. But can you tell us about your PS Open AD module? Yeah. Um, so when PowerShell Core or whatever they want to call it um, was introduced a few years ago, 
I, I found that one of the things that people really wanted to use it for was dealing with Active Directory stuff. So like the get 80 user and um, all that type of stuff. And while they did um, add support for it in a way to use on Windows, one of the things that was missing is that you couldn't use it from Linux or Mac OS. And even then the Windows experience can be a bit um, poor if you're using older versions like server 2016 or 2012 type of thing. So what I was hoping to do um, was create a module which um, was open source, was free to install on pretty much any platform that PowerShell will actually run on that will implement the same functionality. So instead of being tied to Windows itself and whatever it actually ships with, which can be frozen in time really for features and bugs, I wanted to create a module that not just for myself, but other people can actually contribute to um, to be able to manage um, the Active Directory stuff. And there's existing tools out there for Linux and Mac OS. So like Open LDAP is a very common one um, with like tools like LDAP Search and um, LDAP Modify. But I found that it was very much sort of a, a generic, this works just for, L, for like LDAP instances, less Active Directory. So you had to deal with things like um, setting up authentication properly, which can be a massive pain depending on the version that you're on. You have to know how to deal with like directory schemas and what are the values coming back and transforming them type of thing. And because it's a, a separate binary, you also have to deal with essentially text to objects passing, which is is doable, but is never really fun. So in light of all those um, issues with non-Windows, I wanted to create a module um, which sort of papers over all that and creates a very similar experience to what you get with the built-in modules. And it's definitely a work in progress. Like right now, there's support for getting objects. I think I added support for adding and removing. Um, I'm hoping to do set sometime soon and sort of expand that out to make that a bit easier. Um, but like there's a whole bunch of functionality that's in there. I've tried to make it sort of as simple as possible and sort of works as best as it can out of the box. But there's still a few niggling issues like Kerberos authentication from Linux. While it definitely works, it might require extra setup from you um, to sort of get that all working type of thing. Cool. So from like a Linux system, you could run Git Open AD computer, give it some information about how you're going to connect to it and server name and things like that, a credential. And then you can do like a LDAP filter and search for some objects. Yeah, definitely. And like it, it still works with implicit authentication. So if you have Kerberos set up on your Linux machine, you can use existing tickets so you don't actually have to provide credentials if you don't want to. So it supports all that type of stuff if you've got that sort of configured. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely something that like I'm I'm happy to accept um, PRs and other issues as they come across. But I try and make sure that it will replicate very similar functionality to the existing AD module, um, plus maybe some additions here and there that either make things a bit simpler to use or a bit easier. Um, where I found that the AD module may not be as um, clear cut. Wow. Well, that is another fantastic module. I think we've covered some really cool projects here today. Um, it's been fantastic getting to know you, Jordan. I have a few more questions for you, though. Um, we call them the common parameters. I told some people I'd make them uncommon this year, going into the new year. I've been sort of hit or miss on the questions I'm asking. So I know I've given you three to prepare. I may use some of those. I may switch them up on you. Um, but if PowerShell was a song, what song would it be? Oh, I, um, easy question. 
Uh, maybe to me, like that, that's definitely putting me on the edge because that that's an uncommon parameter there. It is. Um, I don't know. The, the thing that sort of comes to my mind is maybe Bohemian Rhapsody. Like, it, it's a great song. Like, I love it. Um, but I found that it's sort of a collection of various different sort of themes that are in there. So, like, it goes from one thing to another and it encompasses a wide range of different areas. And, like, it does it's a great job in pretty much all of them. Um, so maybe, maybe that's that's my song for that one there. Wow. <laughs> that was a fan. I feel like people are going to think we staged that because that was such a good answer. Um, <laughs> Mike, are you a musician or something? Like, where's this thoughtful creativeness coming from? Um, I, I used to play music in high school, but unfortunately I haven't touched my instruments since then. So I've been wanting to get back at it, but that, that's that's the extent of my musical abilities there. Interesting, but you had a song title right there. I don't know if I could have come up with one. So <laughs> I was definitely racking my brain and... Like that sort of was just sort of just jumping to the forefront of my mind. Like, I'm not going to be able to think of something else now. I'm just going to go with that. <laughs> yeah, just commit. I mean, you, you sold it well. So that was a great answer. What are three of your favorite modules? Um, so three of my favorite modules, I would probably say um, there's one called Implied Reflection by Seemingly Science. Um, he's got another great one called Class Explorer. But if I was to choose one of his, it would go with Implied Reflection. It's essentially a way of exposing private or an internal properties and methods um, of .NET classes inside PowerShell. So it's been a really great tool when you're sort of poking at internal things and trying out different stuff and sort of just wanting to play with stuff that you may not normally can be able to without a lot of complex code. Um, so I'll definitely shout out that one there. Um, you mentioned um, Module Fast from Justin. Um, I've recently introduced that in one of my modules build process, and it's fantastic. Like He's done an excellent job there, and I'm sure he'll talk further on it when you've got him next. Um, but like, it's to, to me, it's really what the PS resource get probably should have been. Um, I know he definitely had some constraints. He didn't have as many constraints, but the work that he's done there is, is fantastic. Um, and then my third one, I would probably say, like this may be a boring one, but Pesta um, is probably my next favorite one. And the just the, the stability, um, the functionality that you get from it, and it, like it's he still continues to work on it um, all these years later. Like I think I started using it in the version three land when it was first sort of embedded inside Windows, and now they're on version five with a whole bunch of different features and just rock solid. Like it's, it's a fantastic module. It's still got support and um, it's a critical thing to have inside your modules to have testing. So that, that will be my third one. Pretty good answers. Final question. What advice do you have someone who's never contributed to open source development before? Um, the advice that I'll probably have is try and find a public forum where either the maintainers or other people related to it are. So like in PowerShell side, there's the Discord, Slack, or IRC channels. For Ansible, we've got our IRC and Matrix channels. Um, but a whole bunch of other projects, usually they have some sort of link or some sort of community out there. And basically, if you're new to something, you're going to have hundreds of questions that you need to ask, and you may not know how to set things up to build things. And don't be afraid to ask those questions and, and try stuff out and sort of like you might bang your head against the wall a few times, but having someone there as a backup if you need sort of further clarification 
will save you so much time. They might suggest different things and sort of just be open for that one there. So, yeah, like if, you, if you're new to it, find a community, um, sort of introduce yourself and just start ask questions and don't be afraid to, to chat in there. Yep. And as we mentioned earlier, it can lead to all sorts of good outcomes, both for you, for the community, all kinds of cool stuff can start happening once you start contributing and get more involved. And it's sort of just, I don't know, for me, it makes using projects feel a little bit better when you feel like you're part of the same kind of open source ecosystem, when you're kind of contributing in your own way to your projects and having that sort of expectation of like, if you run into an issue, you file an issue. It just feels like we're more sort of working together and creating better solutions for everybody. But that's my spiel. And now it's our favorite time of the podcast. Welcome to the thrill of the ride, the power shill, if you will. Uh, you can leave us a like, comment, or subscription if you're on YouTube. If you're listening to us or on Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review um, anywhere you want on your podcast platform of choice. We are worldwide, weekly, PowerShell podcast. Uh, join the the PowerShell Discord. That's a fantastic place to go to get PowerShell questions answered. If you want to talk about the show, you can give us some feedback, PowerShell at pdq.com. We also have a PowerShell scripting channel in the PDQ Discord where we take episode feedback and share little tidbits. Jordan, thank you so much for joining us. I had to get that little shill in. I didn't tell you that we were going to be doing that, but it's been a fantastic time talking to you, getting to know you. This is our first time uh, meeting. You're now a friend of the podcast. Loved hearing about your projects and your journey to Red Hat and everything in between. Thank you so much for joining us. If people want to stay connected with you, where can we find you on the World Wide Web? I know I've said this about 10, 20 times, but yeah, the, the Discord um, or IRC would be probably the best areas to try and get in touch with me. And like I, I know I'm active maybe on some of the Reddit pages, but yeah, that, that's definitely the best areas. And like um, even just my repos, like if you've got a question about one of the stuff that I've got on there, open an issue or a discussion and I'll get to it as, as quickly as I can. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Great chatting with you and everybody listening. Drive safe. Have a great commute. If you're at work, keep working. If you're on the weekend, have a great weekend. Thanks for joining us, Jordan. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the PowerShell Podcast. The PowerShell Podcast is a PDQ production, making device management simple, secure, and pretty damn quick.